My name is Kirk Dunn, and this is the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. I'm an actor, writer, and knitter, and I'm also known as the Knitting Pilgrim. I earned that title because in 2003, I was awarded an Ontario Arts Council Chalmers Grant to knit stitched glass, an installation of three large panels designed in the style of stained glass windows, which look at the commonalities and the conflicts between the three Abrahamic faiths. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. They took me 15 years to knit. And when the project was complete, my wife Claire and I wrote a play called The Knitting Pilgrim about my experience knitting stitch glass and my research into interfaith relations. One thing that wasn't covered in the play was the meaning behind the imagery in the knitted panels. So, this series explores each section in conversation because, ultimately, the project is about having conversations with empathy and curiosity about how we understand and sometimes misunderstand each other. Welcome to the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. The section of the stitch glass panels that we're looking at today is a section from the Judaic window. And if you look at the large star of David structure in the window, inside the bottom right point of that star uh, is an image of the Torah and with a line of Judah on the mantle or, or the covering. And just behind the Torah are, are two tablets uh, referencing the, the Ten Commandments. And I, I included this imagery because the Torah is the original holy book for the Abrahamic faiths. Um, Christians have the Bible and Muslims have the Quran, but it, the Torah came first. It's the foundation we all stand upon. And to tell us about the Torah, uh, we are very fortunate to have with us today Rabbi Elise Goldstein. Rabbi Goldstein is a force of nature. As one of the first women rabbis in Canada, she's known for breaking down barriers by founding inclusive communities for learning and prayer. She was the founding director of Kolel, the Adult Center for Liberal Jewish Learning, and she served as the first female president for both Reform Rabbis of Toronto and the Interdenominational Toronto Board of Rabbis. She's won awards as an author, uh, a columnist, and an educator. And if I were to try to list those awards, I would use up pretty much all the time that I reserve to talk to Rabbi Elise today. Uh, Rabbi Goldstein is presently the rabbi at the City Shul in Toronto, an inclusive congregation she founded. And having seen her perform in solo theaters the clergy project i can personally vouch for the fact that she also does a mean jazz hands rabbi lees thank you for being here oh thank you what a nice introduction very sweet. now the torah could i have picked a larger topic to talk to you about <laughs> I'm, I'm so I'm so sorry that I'm going to ask you to be very uh, net and you know sort of thumbnail sketchy about this, but um, I'm hoping maybe you can um, let us know just uh, what well what is the Torah and how is it compiled and and basically what was the place what is the place that it holds in Jewish ritual today? So um, I'll, I'm going to give you a three pronged answer because. Uh, the word Torah uh, has so many different layers 
So on a very surface layer, the actual physical Torah scroll is what you would find in a synagogue setting. It's what we read from every Sabbath morning. If you've ever been to a bar about mitzvah, it's what the child would read from. Um, it's The scroll itself is our only object which we revere, but we don't... Uh, we don't have any really objects that are like central to us, but but for example, if God forbid a, a synagogue was flooded or was um, on, on fire, you'd run in and try and rescue those scrolls. So the scrolls uh, inside that Torah scroll is written the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in that order. <laughs> so um, that's, I believe, what Christians would call the Old Testament. Um, and I don't know if Muslims have a special name right. for that. The extra Torahitic books, like the prophets and the writings, Proverbs, Psalms, things like that, are not in that scroll. In that scroll that you see in a synagogue on the Sabbath are written the five books of Moses. So that that's the first meaning of the word Torah, is the physical scroll itself. Uh, the second meaning of the word Torah is the five books of Moses. Like if you have a book in book form, of the five books of Moses, you might call that the books of the Torah, even though it's not a scroll. Um, and the third meaning um, is Jews who are learning any sacred Jewish text might say, and the word for wisdom might be Torah. So in the Jewish world, in Jewish parlance, if you will, somebody might say to me, what Torah are you learning? Okay. Or what Torah have you learned today? Or I might say to someone that was really deep Torah. Um, meaning a teaching. Now, it might not have been from the five books of Moses. Right. Okay. It just might be a deep piece of learning. Right. Okay. That's so that's that's interesting. And, and one of the things you say there, um, just to let you know that from many Christians, uh, certainly not Christians, Christian clergy, because they would have studied all, all this, uh, the Holy Scriptures, um, but a lot of um, or the rank and file, lay uh, Christians, they they would think of what they call, they might call the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures as being the books they know. I think, I think you would refer to as the Tanakh. They, so that, yes. And right. because Christians tend to think of it as one big monolith, like there's the boom, Old Testament, whereas you talk about the Torah as right. being those, those first five books. How, how are those first five books different than the other two sections, the, um, the Nevim, which are, I think the prophets, have I got that right? Prophets, and yeah. then the Ketavim are the writings, yes. Oh, you're good. You're very good. You got your Hebrew, got your Hebrew down there. Um, the five books of Moses are what we believe, you know, is godly inspired, or let's say Orthodox Jews might believe is is actually God given okay. to Moses on Mount Sinai. Um, they are the basis of all Jewish law and all Jewish tradition. Um, the prophets we recognize were human beings. Um, who wrote their own books or were written about. Um, and the writings are, some of the writings are attributed, to, for example, to King David, like the Psalms. Um, uh, uh, and so, and you have the five Megillot, the five uh, special books for festivals, like the Book of Ruth and the Book of Esther. Uh, so those might be more historical and less legal, legal like learning. Um, and, and for Jews, the five books are authoritative. I would say for Jews of all denominations, uh, we don't learn Jewish law or Jewish tradition from the prophets. 
or from the writings. Now, this is really important for Christians to understand, Kirk, because when Christians quote prophets, the prophets, yes. as authoritative, um, that's that's a hard, that's a that's a that's a, like an apples and an oranges conversation with Jewish right. people, because you might say to me, "Well, it says in Isaiah yeah. such mm -hmm. and such," but that doesn't match up in my tradition with what it might say in Exodus. Right. Okay, yeah, that's interesting, and so and the Torah and you said you you read every every Sabbath, so every service you bring the Torah scrolls out and and you, you read from those out. What about the other books? Uh, are do those are those used in the service or how are they um, dealt with? Um, so yes, that scroll is brought around and it's shown great reverence and then we would read from it. We have a lectionary, which means that we read um, one portion every week and every synagogue in the world is reading the exact same portion on the exact same week. Um, and we start with the first portion of Genesis and we end with the last portion of Deuteronomy and it goes in complete order. One story, if you will, after the other. Um, at, during the service, we will read Psalms as part of our liturgy. Um, and we will also read a portion from the prophets after we've read the Torah portion of the week, we will read a prophetic portion whose theme matches the theme of the Torah reading. That is called in Hebrew, the Haftarah, or some people might say Haftorah. It's a more Yiddish way of saying it. Um, and that is the same in every synagogue as well. Every week. The Haftarah is predetermined uh, way back in early centuries, um, and it uh, has been handed down to us, and everybody reads the same matching prophetic portion to their Torah portion. Okay, right. That, that great. That makes that makes a lot of sense, and that's very similar to the kind of thing we do in the Christian church, too. We, we do work from lectionary and, uh, and, uh, and follow that, that those seasonal... Um, or the, the order of things. And now, of course, Christians are much more diverse and, and some people don't stick to any lecture at all and just do whatever they want. And that's, right. it's, a big, it's a pretty big tent, this Christianity thing. It's uh, <laughs> pretty huge. <laughs> well, Judaism is too, of course. Yeah, you know. absolutely. I can, I, can only give you, I can only give you answers from the perspective of a reformer. Right. Way, but you know, if you ask an Orthodox rabbi, you might get a different perspective. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, the, the actual ritual around... Uh, the Torah. Can you tell me? Uh, tell us a little bit about you know. I, I'm, I don't want to, but the word that occurs to me is the stage management of it. Like what did, what is actually physically <laughs> done with with the Torah? Yeah, I mean you can call it a choreography because it is. It is great pomp and circumstance. The Torah service is the heart of the Saturday morning service. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance. We take it out of the ark. It's kept in a very special thing called an ark. You know, a large. I guess I don't know the English word for that, but um, don't th don't think of Noah's Ark. I mean, it's a large like armoire. Yeah, we closet we call it the Ark. I think a, a lot of us would think of it as the Ark of the Covenant, like a, or a version of the Ark of the Covenant kind of thing. Is the, yeah, but that's yeah. different because the Ark of the Covenant is the biblical forebearer of this, and it was carried on four poles on our shoulders through the desert. This is, you know, it's part of the sanctuary, um, and on top of it is an eternal light, and that reminds us of the light that the Levites would would keep burning every day in the in the desert tabernacle um so it's taken out of the ark and it's paraded around the congregation 
uh, Jewish people will reach out to touch it either with the fringe of their gar fringed garment, the talit, or with their prayer book or with their hand. Because um, we do show reverence to it and sort of it like a ruler, like a great ruler. It's got a crown or two crowns with bells. It's got a beautiful mantle, which is, it has a breastplate sometimes. Sort of dressed like the high priest would have been dressed in the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and then it's once it's taken around, it's brought back to the center of the bima, which is, I guess, what you'd call the altar. Um, and then it's uh, unrolled um, on a reading table. And people are called up to bless it, and the people are called up to read it. It's a very beautiful part of the service. When it's done, when we're done reading it, then it's lifted for everyone to see. We sing a special song which says, this is the Torah which God gave to Moses. Uh, we, we pointed it with our pinky, because that's polite to not point like that, um, to say, this is our Torah. No other book is ours. This is the one that's ours. Everybody else has their own Bible. This is ours. Um, and uh, then it's rolled. It's redressed in its finery. It's paraded around the synagogue one more time, and then it's brought back to the ark. It's a beautiful part of this. Yes, it, it is. It is a, uh, a beautiful ritual, for sure. Beautiful ceremony. And also, um, I understand that you don't, you, you try not to actually touch the, the scroll itself. Is that right? Yes. When you're reading it, you read with a silver pointer, uh, a long silver pointer that looks like a hand at the end. Um, uh, it doesn't have to be silver, it can also be wood, but, but, um, and that is to, it's very practical. It's actually, on the one hand, of course, everything is spiritual. Like you can say that's because we don't want to touch the scroll itself. But the real practical reason is every Torah scroll is written on animal parchment with vegetable ink, just the way it was written a thousand years ago and 2000 years ago. Okay. It hasn't changed one iota. It's handwritten by a scribe using a quill and a vegetable ink, which the scribe themselves makes, and it's written on parchment. That vegetable oil, that vegetable ink, when matched with the, when mixed with the oil of your finger, after a few years will start rubbing off. If you used your finger to read across the lines. So we use something that doesn't quite touch the ink. Uh, we're very careful about that. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. But also, I don't want your dirty hands. I don't want people's dirty hands. You know, they've just had bagels and lots, and I really don't want them touching my touching my. That's right, crumbs in the Taurus girl. Not not good. Um, and how was the how was how were these writings compiled? I mean, you said it. Uh, the tradition is they were handed down uh, to Moses from God on on the mount. You know, is is that. Um, is that what is believed, or is there a, a history of? Depends on, depends on who you ask. I mean, that's that's a traditional perspective. Uh, some liberal Jews might say they believe that it was divinely inspired, but written by people. Um, a lot of people say it was written by the generation that actually was in the desert and received this moment of revelation at Mount Sinai. Some people say it was actually written down through the years from from the Exodus and sewn together later in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Mm -hmm. um, some people believe it's fully human. Some people believe it's fully divine. But the thing about being Jewish is that there's a large range of beliefs, beliefs that are uh, recognized as um, acceptable. There's very little that's not acceptable. Right, yeah. And what's, what is the oldest uh, artifact of the, the Torah is 
Like how old is the oldest surviving one that people have in museums? Or well, the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls are the oldest, and that those are parts of the Torah. And it's really, really valuable because we can compare the right the Dead Sea Scroll, um, you know, narrative with a narrative we have in today's Torah scroll, and they're exactly the same, which means that they this is very old. Right. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. If you were to um, distill the message of the, of the Torah into one idea, um, what would what would that be? Okay, there's that that is like a Talmudic question. Okay, so there's a story in the Talmud. I'll give you the answer. There's a story in the Talmud, which is our book of Jewish law, written between the second and the fifth century of the Common Era. Um, there's a story that. Uh, a person wanting to become a pagan, wanting to become a Jew, comes to two rabbis. One is named Hillel and one is named Shammai. These rabbis are, by the way, always conflicting with each other in, in the Talmud. And they go to Rabbi Shammai, who's known to be very strict. And they say to Shammai, teach me the whole Torah while I'm standing on one foot. Basically, they've asked what you just asked. Distill the whole Torah down to like a soundbite, okay? And according to the story, Rabbi Shammai smacks them in the head and says, You're, you, you, by asking that, you've proven to me you don't want to be a Jew. Then the same pagan goes to Rabbi Hillel. Teach me the whole Torah while standing on one foot. And Hillel says this, these famous words. Um, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. All the rest is commentary. Now go learn it. Right. Okay, so it's a beautiful story. So I could say to you, the whole essence of the Torah is um, what we read in last week's lectionary Torah portion. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, all the rest is commentary, go and learn it. I mean, that's simplistic, and that's what I would love to tell the world. There's, there's a lot more, which is um, that in order to be a Jew, you have to do Jewish things. There's no dogma in the Torah. It doesn't say thou shalt believe. Right. Okay, here are the things you must believe. It's not dogma. The Torah, the five books are actually filled with, you should keep the Sabbath. You should honor your mother and father. You should not eat the limb off a living animal. You should not eat creepy crawly things. You should dress uh, in, in a modest way. You should have loving sexual relations. You should, I mean, I could go on and on and on. To some people, this would sound like it's a whole lot of rules. And of course, we Jews have suffered under this um, misgiven notion that the New Testament is a book of love and the Old Testament is a book of law. Yeah. That is not true, yeah. right? They're, they both have laws and they both have love. Um, but, the, but, the, but the Jewish Bible is filled with ways to be Jewish, <laughs> And that means ways to sanctify time and ways to sanctify space and ways to sanctify the self, that is the body, okay? So if you ask me to distill it, I would say those three are equal to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is, that is a fantastic answer. Thank you for that. And the thing that I find, uh, you know, so... Uh, remarkable, and I was going to say ironic, but it's not ironic. It just makes perfect sense. It's, it's exactly uh, it's exactly what a Christian would say is you know distilled to Christianity, which makes sense because after all, right. Jesus was a good Jew. So 
you know, Absolutely. that's kind of where that came Absolutely. <laughs> kind of where that came from. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yes, the irony of it all. That was fabulous. Rob Ellis, thank you so much. Really appreciate your, your taking the time. Um, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for asking me. Thank you, Rabbi Elise. If you'd like to know more about the great work Rabbi Elise is doing at the City Shoal, or if you'd like to contact her, you can go to www.cityshoal.com. That's www.cityshoal.com. This has been an episode of the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. We'd like to thank the Ontario Arts Council for their support of this conversation series and their funding of Stitch Glass and the Toronto Arts Council and the Canada Council for the Arts for their support of the Knitting Pilgrim Show. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this about interfaith matters, stitched glass, and knitting, please check out our episodes at kirkdunn.com or the Knitting Pilgrim YouTube channel.